Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Nigel Marston, General Manager of Scullin and Wright Funeral Service. Nigel, hello. Hello, Matthew. Well, thank you for making the time to come on the podcast today. We might as well jump straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? A name leader. Uh, I think a leader is somebody who uh, is able to influence others to achieve a common goal. Um, I don't really think a leader is somebody in a particular position. Mm-hmm. It's somebody who has a certain type of quality that, uh, that encourages other people to follow uh, that person in achieving a particular goal. Uh, it's somebody who can motivate and influence people and somebody who commands respect. So leadership is more of a behavior rather than a position. Yes, I think so. I think so. It's, you, you, can be a, you can be a manager or you can be in a position of seniority, but that doesn't automatically make you a leader. You know, sometimes people are leaders who are in positions that are not really got any authority, mm. but because of their, their personality or um, because of the, the way they conduct themselves, then others look up to them. Others will um, take note of their ideas and, and often, you know, to be able to relate to these people. And, and that's what gives them that quality of leadership, I think. Now, you're managing a team that deals with people at the worst of times. How do you handle the mm-hmm. stresses that occur to your staff members? It's yes. It, I mean, in the business it, uh, that I'm involved in, as a funeral service, and you're quite right. The people that we we deal with are going through some of the worst times in in their lives. Um, there's, a, there's a fairly it's a fairly unique type of business because bereavement is a is, is and grief is a process that exacerbates any type of emotions, and we there's a lot of pressure on a funeral director to get things right first time. It's not like calling a plumber and asking them to come in and fix a tap and then the tap mm-hmm. drips after they've left, you call them back. You can't do that with a funeral. If you get something wrong in a funeral, that's it. And a funeral is a thing that people remember, remember the rest of their lives. So it's very important that, that we get that right. And to deal with the stresses, I think it's a, you, you have to be a certain type of person. You have to be, you have to have an empathy uh, with the bereaved, um, you know, you have to have an understanding and you have to be very patient because, as I said, the um, emotions tend to get exacerbated at times like this. And uh, the, the staff that we have uh, a, a very a very understanding with these people uh, who's going through times like this. And uh, it does, you know, it does get to them. Uh, we, we, do, we deal with death on a day-to-day basis. We don't always think about it as maybe as much as we should do. But I think everybody's been affected one way or another by a particular funeral or family that they've dealt with. And it, it, it happens every now and again that, you know, something relates to them personally, whether it be you know, maybe a, a funeral of a child or of somebody who reminds them of a member of the family. And uh, I think we use the support of our colleagues to be able to get over periods of time like that. We, we are a member of a, a professional trade body and, and they do offer uh, a counseling service should any of our uh, staff require more, more formal assistance in that area. And do you find that's an issue that crops up quite regularly? I wouldn't say regularly. It happens from time to time, but 
It's like any job. It's when when you when you're used to doing a job, you get used to the stresses and strains of that particular job, and you 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 become more um, aware of what of what to expect. Mm. Uh, so there's a in, in any any job where there's you're dealing with people in difficult circumstances, such as you know police, fire brigade, um, all those sort of jobs. The you know the the people doing that type of work will will have an expectation of what's likely to be to be coming. Um, but it's like, you know, like those jobs every now and again, you'll, you'll encounter something that you've never come across before. And, and sometimes it can be, can be difficult to handle it in those situations, but you, you look back on your experience and, and what you've, what you've done in the past to handle the situation. And I think that helps a lot of people through. And, uh, I mean, we, you know, we have a, we have a, a good team. We're, we're quite close knit team and, uh, you know, we, we do have a, um, a, a lot of humour, and uh, and and um, you know our, our own personalities will help us to get to get over that. But it it has to be used appropriately. And what is uh, your personal leadership style? My personal leadership style. I think it's it's hard to compartmentalise a, a leadership style. Um, I like to think that I would empower people. I like to give people the opportunity to do things their own way. I think one of the things that you have to avoid as a leader is trying to create a clone of yourself or trying to make everybody do things the same way. You have to recognize that everybody's different. Everybody has different ways of doing things. And sometimes it might not be the way that you would do it yourself, but if it gets the the results that's required and at the end of the day, that, that's probably a, a valid way of doing something. So, I like to be able to allow people to have flexibility, to have the autonomy to do things themselves um, because, you know, I don't have all the answers and often I have to rely on the staff that work for me to be able to, to advise me and on better ways of doing things because the staff are the people who are there on the ground uh, day in, day out. And in some cases, they're in a much better position than I am to be able to, um, to, to, to work out solutions to problems and work a way around getting uh, getting around things. So there's something that you can learn from everyone. Is there something, sorry? So there's something that you can learn from everything. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone. Definitely without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Now uh, earlier, everybody had- earlier on in your career, was there a particular individual that you learned from that has shaped the way that you uh, lead today? I don't know if there's one individual. I've learned a lot um, from a lot of different people. Um, before I worked in the funeral service, and uh, I, I worked in the police environment for almost twenty years, and that was uh, that was quite character forming. Um, I, I do remember certain people, certain managers that I had, and uh, the, the way they conducted themselves. So I, I don't really think I would name one particular individual, but uh, I can take um, experiences and examples from a number of people I've worked with over the years. And, and use those, and, and they've probably subconsciously influenced the way that I now uh, manage and, and lead a team that I have. Now, what would your advice be to young people who are looking to go into the funeral field? I think to go into the funeral profession, you have to be a certain type of person. You have to be empathetic. And the number one quality that we look for and anybody wanting to work within our business is that they have to have the interests of the bereaved family at heart. That has to be the number one priority for them. 
And that has to be the main reason why they want to work in this type of business. And I would say if, if they don't have that, then they're not really a suitable person to work as a, mm. uh, in, in the funeral profession. Our time together is uh, very unfortunately drawing to a close quite quickly. Uh, but before we get to that point, if I pressed you to choose objectively the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Sorry, I didn't quite catch what you said. If I asked you to choose the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Well, that's a difficult question. Um, I would, ha- I think I would have to go for somebody who I personally had uh, a, a lot of respect for. And, and I think it would probably be Winston Churchill. I don't think I'd be alone in that. Um, and I, I think the, the greatest leader would a lot depend on uh, you know your culture, your background, and that sort of thing. But, but for me, it would be Winston Churchill because he achieved amazing things under amazing and great adversity. And do you find that any of Churchill's uh, leadership tendencies filter down? Uh, I don't know. I, I think that's not, not really for me to say. I, I think it's... Uh, he had a lot of different qualities. And one of the things I do notice about Churchill is that, you know, he, he wasn't always successful. You know, he did have a lot of bad times in his life. And, uh, you know, he was, he was written off as a failure on, on several occasions. But, you know, when the, uh, when the chips were down, when it really mattered, and that's when he, when he was successful. Well, Nigel, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. And I very much hope to speak with you on the program again soon. Thank you very much, Matthew. Thank you, Nigel. That was Nigel Marsden, Chief General Manager of Scullin and Wright Funeral Service. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Plunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of Leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure your delight that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she could reach out to people that others can't. So... I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able 
in the first 10 years, certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before. Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what shivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in. But how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world? Th those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp speaking of your time... Uh, as Home Section in government. Um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children. By inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... 
new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day -day basis... And without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's, what, it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein. I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times... Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant. He said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions, and anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities, they know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper and... I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm -hmm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising, thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans after the game. Well, everyone <laughs> knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after week. No, I, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield. So I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good About Sheffield United in the Premier League because it, it, it's change. It does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in 
January. And then you can lose 5-0. And then five you lose 5-0 yeah. at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in the situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously? And if you could answer that question, and there may have, something may have happened... Who knows? Something during the morning, before the game started, something may have gone sour. You get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never, never do this again. Yeah, well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more... Uh, 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 people, uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle, not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm -hmm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them. But get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If... But part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for, a, for a, a, an easy morning television program, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also, I should add, that is how uh, all stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I always tried to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Yeah, quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, 
an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better. You, you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, they, it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you... You're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center Mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with... The development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognise, which is why being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure and I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very, uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour Leadership Contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit, uh, well, after we leave the opinion on the 31st of January? And where will Sheffield... Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in, indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got, a, got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach... Those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact 
can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. Uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months, I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships, in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do... I think we could pull it off, but I am really reluctant. And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. (laughs) This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.